This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Basser. We also have the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny, and the music director of the Toledo Symphony, conductor Alain Trudel. Welcome, all three of you. Thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. You've been here before. (laughs) So today we have kind of a free-form discussion. We're taking advantage of the fact that uh, Alain Trudel is in town. He has uh, just conducted a concert with Toledo Symphony. And uh, then it's kind of a little hiatus right now for the next couple of weeks. Really nothing going on until the 14th. I do want to put out there uh, a couple of concerts that are upcoming. Next week, we're going to be talking about Toledo Opera's I Dream, but after that, we're going to take on uh, the Duke Ellington concert, Classical Ellington. That's happening on the 20th and 21st. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, that'll be a great concert. That features uh, Lorraine Carpenter, who is your principal trumpet. She's doing mm-hmm. a world premiere. That's right. A trumpet concerto, as yeah. well as Natasha Peremsky, who's doing the Four Parables. Yeah, and, and that wonderful uh, Nutcracker of Duke Ellington and, and the Harlem. And Harlem, poem. which we can't overlook. It's 15 or 20 minutes of amazing music. Yeah, that's but, that's April 20th and 21st, you were going to say? Th- I was going to say, but that's fodder for another podcast entirely. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Also on the 14th, uh, in a couple of weeks, you have the music of David Bowie with David Brighton, which looks like that's going to be a, a really fun concert for, you know, people who... Or into David Bowie. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> like the David Bowie impersonator. Right. And uh, I think they actually worked together in some sort of uh, yeah, that's right. collaboration yeah. where he was playing Bowie in front of Bowie or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's at the Stranahan Theater. You can find uh, all of this information at the Toledo Symphony's website. That's ToledoSymphony.com. And again, we'll be talking about it as the time draws near for those different concerts. But... Here we are. We have uh, Elaine Trudell with us. And so I put out a little call on social media. And the question that I asked folks to chime in on was this. What do you think is the number one issue being faced by American orchestras today and why? And I got a lot of different responses. And I thought it'd be interesting to throw a few of those out there. Mm. But but let me ask you first, Alain, yep. what do you think is the most important thing that, that orchestras are facing? Honestly, well, first of all, hi. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I promise not uh, to play your trombone <laughs> sound effect today. You had us at hello. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, it's well, a North American problem, not just American, but uh, we have the same in Canada, is that, um, you know, it starts from the base. So uh, if there is no music in the schools, if there is no access to music or, you know, children don't hear music, don't hear symphonic music or, or just classical music or music in general that that's performed live in front of them, uh, then they, it's, it's not going to be something that growing up, will be a priority for, for them to have in their lives. And th- and that's a little sad because it's something that's that makes your life much better. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, education is such a big part Absolutely. of it. And, and yeah. I, it seems to me like in times past, the education sort of took care of itself because that's how people accessed music was through performances. And, and if you look at, you know, even a, a century ago or so, when people went to the symphony, that was like, 
when they went to see a concert, that was the education. That's mm-hmm. just, it was just accepted that people mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. And then as we moved away from that and the popular media kind of, you know, came in and filled that void, which is certainly fueled in part by technology, mm-hmm. um, then the concert hall experience became more and more of a distant thing. But, you know, th- this this concept that technology has made it harder to embrace classical music because we have all sorts of other types of music that we can access through our phones and on our computer screens, you know, it, it, it's, it, I still think there's a folly to it because we've never had more tools to bring that music to people than we do right now. It yeah. used to be that you had to go to the concert hall. Now you can watch it on YouTube. That That might cause some problems for us from an attendance perspective, but it also gives us a huge opportunity to communicate about classical music. I mean, what we're doing right now, having a radio show that shows up in a podcast stream talking about classical music wasn't possible 10 years ago. Right. So, you know, you know, shame on us for thinking that we're we're reaching a limit when we're really coming to a horizon that's filled with opportunity. Well, what are the impediments to to moving forward? I I don't know. It's a, it seems like there are some hurdles to cross, and maybe even more so in the world of classical music. Well, um, you know, I, of course, I've talked about education, but uh, orchestra world, the tradition of the orchestra world is also. Uh, you know, we have our own, we have to own some of the things we've done in the past uh, mm-hmm. that, that didn't put us in a really great position for, for the present and the future. I mean, this, uh, there's lots of wonderful traditions in classical music, but some of them, like if you go back about 20 years, uh, was basically <clears throat> very, very elitist and it, it was, you know, you everybody felt like they had to know so much just to show up and have the right to listen to it, which is totally untrue. But it was kind of, uh, you know, the hype of that had yeah. been uh, really promoted in a certain way. And, you know, classical music was a higher kind of, uh, you know, a, a form of uh, social gathering. And, you know, you cannot come as you are. You have to dress up. And actually, I mean, it's very nice if people like to do that. That's fine. But the musicians that wrote that music, they're just... Yeah, you know, regular people with their geniuses, but you know, in everyday life, <laughs> they're just no, regular geniuses. But, <laughs> no, no, but, no, but yeah, they're 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 just regular folks that do extraordinary things and yeah. that have genius for music. But you know, I don't think like uh, Mozart was uh, always, you know, um, uh, <laughs> always on this. Uh, uh, how do you say in English? Uh, on your nine, is it no? Uh, like like well dressed? Oh, dressed uh, to the nines. Dressed, dressed, dressed to the nines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, things like that. I mean, you probably just you know woke up half an hour before and said, "Oh, I'm late. Let's go ahead and put the wig on and just get on with it." <laughs> oh yes, the wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, so maybe you don't have to wear a wig. <laughs> well, but you know, we were just speaking before we started recording about this idea of what what should the musicians wear, mm, right? So true. you and I have talked a lot about changing the the outfits of the orchestra. So that, Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, but, but let's let's unpack that for a second, because why do we wear tails? Why do musicians wear tuxedos? Mm. Is that in the 1850s, that's what your, your audience wore, mm-hmm. so you dressed as they dressed. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if we did that... You know, maybe maybe we don't even wear sport coats. Like, you know, it's it's, it's as our audience has gotten more casual. 
you know, yeah. we haven't kept up. And that, yeah. that creates a visual barrier yeah. because, you know, I always like to say that people look at classical music as if they're looking up at a really steep cliff from the, from the beach. And they know that the view is going to be amazing up there, but they talk themselves out of climbing it because they don't feel like they have the right shoes or the endurance or they're not, they're not fit enough to do it. Yeah. Uh, that's the same thing that happens to people who want to explore classical music for the first time. But if, it, if you put like a really uh, nice pizza or something at the top there, I would climb it. <laughs> Right now, we know your your yeah. your obstacles but, are but easily overcome. But it's a that, you know that's an allegory. It's a, sure. whatever it is that is going to attract somebody and motivate them to climb that hill. It's a motivation thing, but it's also a demystifying thing. Mm-hmm. So I love that we peek behind the the scenes of classical music on this show because the more we can laugh, the more we can we can use terminology that people can relate to as opposed to a lot of Italian and French words that may or may not be in everyone's lexicon anymore. I mean, music doesn't have to be complicated. And if we laugh about it and we demystify it, it becomes more approachable. And and, and we actually do a lot of good service to classical music by having the conversations that we do. I don't know if anyone's listening, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I'm happy that we're doing this. I mean, it's probably safe to assume that we're preaching to the choir, more or less. But, But to get the people that are involved in classical music to think about it mm-hmm. and, and to at least propagate it through example, I think is is very important. TSO does so much in the way of really reaching out and connecting with audiences. And we've talked about this before, the whole educational aspect mm-hmm. and the outreach aspect. Getting back to some of the comments on here, and we've touched on some of them. Uh, we had one person who is, is uh, has a lot of experience teaching, working with students, talking about classical music has an image problem, which mm-hmm. speaks directly to what you said, Alain. I think <clears throat> along the same lines of what Zach mentioned earlier about demystifying, I think um, orchestras industry-wide also have a problem with um, relevancy, relating mm-hmm. to the everyday person. Yeah, And um, I mean, as a former school teacher for a short, short stint of time and being uh, still surrounded by a lot of educators in the area. I, I really do think that there are some really phenomenal school programs, school music programs that mm-hmm. are in existence. Mm-hmm. But the part that's missing for me is that once you step out of the school building, out of the, the band or orchestra classroom, it's not really like reinforced in mm-hmm. life. And as you mentioned before our podcast started recording, um, when you asked like a classroom full of mm-hmm. kids, if they, if they recognize certain classical pieces, I think had it, you know, been in, reinforced more in like cartoons or at home with parents or mm-hmm. siblings or friends, um, it would be more relevant, but it's yeah. just something that is, I feel like, siloed in schools. It, it is siloed, but I think it's also siloed in our culture. And, and it, on yeah. one hand, you have so many cultural references to classical music for whatever yeah. reason it goes behind it. You see it, you hear it all the time in the media, whether you're aware of it or not. And on the other hand, then you have – that's just two hands, right? Yeah. On one hand, and, and on the other hand, you have, uh, you know, the traditionalists who are coming to you from the world of classical music saying, oh, that's terrible. How dare they, you know, use John Williams to teach about classical music or how, you know, how dare they play Kill the Wabbit on the radio, which I have done and have had people complain. Yeah. 
about Aww. it. You know, so it's, don't, you know, don't cry for me. It's okay. The, <laughs> um, that kind of attitude is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Right, <laughs> right. I and would that, say it, yeah. The continuity of the divide. And we talk about, you know, where are they, if we were like clothes that are so different than what people come now. I mean, they're, they're basically coming to hear a bunch of dead composers. That's not the idea. The music is alive. And we have to, in the way we act, the way we promote it, the way we play it, we have to make it very much alive. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have to play living composers. Mm-hmm. And that's very important also. Well, do you think, I mean, one of the hurdles, for lack of a better word, towards reaching audiences, and especially younger audiences, is, is that this is an art form that needs some kind of meeting halfway, at least. You know, the mm-hmm. people that are listening to the music kind of have to embrace it as well, and especially if they're going to get off the couch and go see something in the, in the concert hall, they're, they're really taking an active part in their entertainment. Yeah, it's the kind of entertainment where you have to, to meet it halfway, right? You can't just sit there and let it wash over you, sugar-coated kind of thing. Um, do we embrace that part of it? Do we go? How do, how do we go to people and say, this is worthwhile because... You have to take an active part in it. It's kind mm. of like getting people to go to the gym. You know, they all have that gym <laughs> membership, but they don't necessarily use it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to we have to do the orchestra renewal January first, right? Where everybody takes the, the membership to the gym. <laughs> yeah. You know, that could be a. There's a, a new pricing model for you. Exactly. Felicia's right? eyes just got really wide. Yeah. Exactly. Subscription. Why, why couldn't people do like they do with iTunes or whatever and pay you know twenty nine ninety nine a month? And get to go see all the concerts. That's a model that some orchestras yeah, have done. Uh, and it, they they don't usually last very long. Either the orchestras don't let them stand long enough to really evaluate that they're successful or not successful. They might try it for a season and then give up. Or they're afraid. I mean, we're, we, we kind of live in this fear that if we give too much away without a value associated with it, then we've made it valueless. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you have a subscription model like that, and you say, it doesn't matter if you come to one concert or 15 concerts in a month, it's the same, you've, you've taken the value away. The value becomes mm-hmm. the emotion, and there's a lot of emotions that we can ascribe mm-hmm. to these performances. But, you know, it's, it, it, I think orchestras are fundamentally terrified of, of the Netflixing of, of the concerts. Yeah, right. Hmm. TSO and chill, right? <laughs> <laughs> you could be... Well, write these down, Felicia. This is good stuff. Where's my pen? <laughs> I went, you were talking about going, like, meeting halfway. Yeah. I think what, uh, to come back to a little bit what I was talking earlier is that, you know, we've had, we're talking about image problems <laughs> sometimes, yeah. is that for, for many, for many decades, for hundreds of years, now it's a little bit, um, there's a divide that we've been working very hard, all the orchestras and all the, the administration musicians over the last 20 years to take that wall down and just to show that it's great music and it's live music and it's very exciting. But I think we have to go more than halfway. I mean, this for us, we have to go and play for the people. It's like a friendship when mm-hmm. people come to your orchestra. If they never see you, if, if you don't go out of your your hall, if you don't go in the community, if you don't organize um, teaching opportunities, pedagogic opportunities, because, you know, the school teachers, like the music teacher in school, they're heroic. You know, it's incredible. They're, they're, they do so much. And very often with, with little, 
right? Yeah. And the the and whatever when we talk about, hey, maybe the people from the symphony can come and visit you and have a little lesson, and we can bring you that. They go like, wow, and you know, and just for free, and just like, oh, wow, we're that. That's part of our mission. For yeah. me, it's as important to have uh, excellent playing. And yeah, the excellence of playing, yes, but for who? You know, it's for everybody. So you have to make sure that you're out there playing for people and that you're out there taking part in your community and taking part in the pedagogical aspect of music. And, and, and you know, because when they say when people, when they have access to classical music, it's it's like fast food, slow food, right? It's, yeah, it's <laughs> craftsmanship. You have to be able to have a task from A to Z, you know, and it's not, you can't, there's no shortcut on playing well the violin. There's no shortcut on, on making a good sound on the oboe. You really have to put the time in. And this is something that stays with you all your life. Maybe those kids won't be musicians. Most of them won't. But when they become, they'll make a better lawyer, better doctor, mm -hmm. and they have yeah. a better general culture. And that's kind of lost on us sometimes that music is very important for general culture. And that, that, that's very important. And classical music. I'm talking about classical music because yeah. you really, all music is good. But classical music, you actually have to make something happen from, from nothing. And that's really a great lesson for anything you're going to try in life. I think that when we're young, we are definitely hardwired to appreciate and enjoy live music mm -hmm. and classical music. You know, we learn to not like it as we get older. We're conditioned, you know, either away from it, depending on your personal experience and, and your environment. Mm. Um, you may be completely conditioned away from it in favor of other forms of entertainment and cultural enrichment, which may or may not be, you know, anywhere on the same level as the classical music experience. So then the question becomes, you know, number one, how do we change that? Number two, do we want to change that? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it is it our place to try to, you know, be an evangelist for classical music and get every butt in every seat? Mm. I think a big mistake would be to uh, quote unquote uh, water down the music, dumb yeah. down the music. Right. Because I mean, especially with kids, they, they can take any kind of music. Nobody's still, as you said, nobody's told them if it's good or if it's bad. They they're making their own decision. And I'll, I can tell you about an experience I've, I was, I've been doing with my orchestra in, in Canada in Laval. We have a thing that's called baby music, baby music. And we only play for babies. It's up to three years old. You're, if, if you're I'm older, oh, if you're older than Child three, if you're older than three years, husband, you can't, you can't, yeah. no, you can't. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's aimed at, uh, at young babies. And we don't play like two minutes of music. We, we play like, we play Mozart 40 the other, the other day, which is, you know, four yeah. movements of symphony. But we talk, things we've done is, for example, uh, during the day, you know, the whole idea, actually, I won't take the credits. My uh, general manager, uh, Marie-Pierre came in with, came out with this idea because <clears throat> we all have kids at the, at the orchestra. And, you know, in the afternoon, what do you do, right? You're trying to go to the movies and it's complicated. Now they have movies, um, they have showings just for, you know, people who go with their young, mm -hmm. with their toddlers, their kids. So we thought, why don't we do something with, like that with the orchestra? So and we have a, a, something at one thirty in the afternoon, just, you know, around nap time where they can come and listen to music, either they're just saying cry or sleep, whatever works for them. We, we do that. And we had, for example, uh, our hall contains 900 there. And, uh, we have, uh, stroller parking and the, and the entrance of for about 
let's say 400 strollers and and the kids wow. were there with with their mamas or their papa it's usually the grandparents also yeah. they like to come with the kids they sit there and what we do we play a movement then i go and interview people in the orchestra about uh, how to uh, how to conciliate uh, you know work and uh, and parenting and mm-hmm. and then we go in the audience and the orchestra and they say oh wow they're just like us then we play another movement and the kids at the beginning of course they make noise but they go ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> and at a certain point it drifts out and they're either listening or sleeping having a good wow. time so these are things, and we don't dumb down the music at all. For us, it's a real performance. A right, real, right. It it's, takes a lot of concentration for the orchestra, but that's a way that, you know, you introduce people to the hall. It's very friendly. It's user friendly. You come in and you, it's not like, oh, you don't do anything special. It's, you don't have to dress in a certain way. You just come with your kids, sit down, listen to it and have a good time. Can you start like a, a Toledo Symphony daycare and when you come back? <laughs> I've dreamed of that a lot. Yeah. I like people who come to the concert. That can, there's a lot of uh, implications and legal <laughs> implications, yeah, but, right. but no. But um, it's it's something that you know, uh, any kind of access we can create. Like it's doing our part for the community, mm-hmm. creating access to this kind of music. You were talking about you know passes for the entire season. Well, we can have passes for for students, for for very young people, and so right. or you know br- bring your. We we also did something in the past in the other orchestra I was in is that. You, we we created the tickets for, for the the students, and you bring your parent for free, which is the same as the parent bring their like kids for date. free. Oh. Yeah, right. but right. it's like a, a date night, or or we calculating the pricing yeah. of the ticket. How much would be the babysitting for the evening? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of a promotion uh. that we have with that. I mean, it's we have to make it possible for them. We have to make it inviting. We have to get. We have to get out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And before we ask anybody to get out of their comfort zone, we have to show that we're coming, like you say, half an hour. I think we're due to do a little bit more than half yeah. one of our time. I, I just, uh, I know we're, we're running short on time, but I want to throw a couple of my favorite, um, answers to that <laughs> little Facebook poll that I put out there. Uh, one person talks about adding more visuals, like having the orchestra play in hot air balloons. Huh. <laughs> in, in the concert hall? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I could see it going both ways. At least in the concert hall, they're not going to float away, right? But yeah, that ceiling is going to really stop everybody. Yeah, I don't think it's possible. But I, I just liked the, the suggestion. <laughs> but 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 she touched that person touches one thing that the visuals are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But do you put the audience in, in hot air balloons too? That's where it gets really expensive. Those <laughs> ticket prices are going to go through the go uh, sky high. Go through the, the, roof, the, yeah. the new HD cameras help. Uh, with they the do. Symphony. They do. Yeah. I think yeah. you know. When, I'm very proud of the TSO and HD project, right. and and we, the orchestra had been piloting it for a couple of years, but I think we really got serious about expanding it to all of our peristyle performances uh, last year, and we, we started doing that this year. But for me, it it if anybody's listening who who hasn't seen them, uh, we put a very large screens aside the the stage in the peristyle. Um, so if if you're sitting at the back of the peristyle, all you'll really see are the the legs of the violins <laughs> on the left side of the podium and the other string players on the right side of the podium. Sometimes they're cellos, sometimes they're violas, um, but you don't really see the clarinets. You don't see the the trumpets. They're at the back of the stage. And we have these wonderful world-class musicians playing on our stage, and we, we, we hide them. So the HD cameras take the, the view of the stage 
up onto the screen and and it follows the melody around just as if yeah. you're watching you know the Boston Symphony on PBS great performances it it follows the melody from the violins to the to the horns over to the piccolo um but if you're a first time attender and you have maybe not a huge am- amount of experience with this music it will show you what you are hearing and, mm-hmm. and and the feedback has been that people have a greater association with the musicians and they 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 hear the music better they they they're helped along it's it's a listening aid but it helps them to engage so to use that word again engagement yeah. um and and i think it's been very powerful because if you're coming for the first time we've demystified it we've kind of unlocked the mystery of what we're supposed to be appreciating so if you don't get it by looking at the 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 stage itself you get it from looking at the screens mm-hmm. and it's controversial because we do have people who don't like the screens they find them to be wildly distracting uh, well i see it uh, as kind of like in a sporting event you know and 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 you can draw analogies between sports and and classical music performance you know it's it's a much slower more uh, uh, less um sensory overload right than you get in sports but you know there's the big the big picture of looking at the orchestra on the stage and then the intimacy mm-hmm. of looking at what's happening on the screen that's right and you're getting the details and i i just look at it and i think it's like watching you know a soccer game or something yeah. Somebody wrote an email, um, or maybe responded to one of our post-concert surveys, but they, they said, I don't know which one is the oboe and which one's the clarinet, but I, I think I got them figured out. It's either one or the other. And, and one, one's played by a man and a woman, the others, the others are played by two women. So that You're talking about the TSO specifically. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um, but, but this is a person who had been coming to our concerts for several years, but mm-hmm. had never really seen into the winds. And we're fascinated at how many, as he said, how many buttons there are on these instruments and how quickly they're moving. And, and in the case of the oboe, how strange the, the mouthpiece is, it's a, Mm. being able to see the reed. Um, the cameras take you into that level of, of intimacy and, and, and really help you to celebrate the artistry. Yeah. And I'm sure the brass players and the percussion especially love (laughs) They're like darn. <laughs> they get a, well. They get a moment in the spotlight, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you don't need to know exactly the terminology. I mean, right. you can enjoy baseball without knowing the deep, uh, uh, without having a deep understanding of a three-two pitch or something like that, right? So, yeah. and music is the same. If you enjoy yeah. it, wow! And we take almost take them by the hand to see the soloists. Oh, this instrument, that instrument, and it's a great way to introduce people to music. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just realizing mm-hmm. as we're sitting here. That for the Symphony Fantastique mm-hmm. concert, that was the first time you saw the screens, and because the last time you played, uh, you conducted at the Peristyle was in April before we Absolutely. made them a, yeah. a mainstay. Um, what are your thoughts now that you've seen it? Well, for the conductor, it's a little different because um, there, there's a little bit of a delay mm-hmm. with the conducting, yeah. the actual conducting that you're doing. And what so you, you can't see? look at the screen, can you? No, no. But I have lots of experience because at the National Arts Center in Ottawa, we have screens for all the the youth concerts mm-hmm. uh, with the local TV station, and it's there's a big delay. <laughs> so I'm basically conducting the contrary of what I'm doing on stage. <laughs> so I've learned not to look at it. I mean, for us, and for us, it's like you know, um, we want the, the 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 audience, if I can make another analogy, to enjoy a great meal. 
mm-hmm. but we're in the kitchen where the we're cooking it right so you know the it's it's for our it's for our audience to enjoy it i mean people i get a lot of good feedbacks and i got good good feedbacks on the weekend of people who like it now it's of course when you morph into a new era you're going to have some people who, who who really are scared of change, uh, any kind of change, and then they will think that is it because we're totally going to do away with what was there, and it's not that we're we're still the same, but you know it's it's good to uh, improve, and uh, and we have to follow the times, and orchestras really have to you know uh, we're we're stepping up our game, and that's yeah. very important, and and that will help us a lot, just yeah. stepping up our game. Well, we're. Uh, so many things we could have talked about uh, that we did not, and a lot of comments that came in that uh, I appreciate everybody who posted on that Facebook post. Uh, a lot of interesting points there, and, and everybody here will have a copy of that, so so they can rest assured that at least the message is out there. But uh, that's about all the time that we have. Uh, I will say, uh, for those of you listening, if you have something to say to us about this particular topic or if you want to make your voice heard, you can always call up our Q&A line. That number is 419-418-0012, and we may use your voice on the air in a future episode. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download podcasts of this program at wgte.org slash lab or by subscribing to it on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can check out all upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Brad Cresswell. My thanks to our panelists, Felicia Candy, Elaine Trudell, and Zach Vasser. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.